imagine it. First, you're just a little drowsy, maybe a little achy. By the end of the day, your hips are so sore that you feel several years too old. Your head aches. Even though winter has misted a damp chill in the air, your forehead glistens with dewy drops of sweat. You go to bed early, hoping to shut down this cold before it really starts. Before falling asleep, the first cough hits. The next few days are a blur of heated skin and coughing until your chest aches worse than your joints. Why is it so hot in the middle of January? Why is everyone whispering? Why does each day fly by in a sweaty, sleepy haze? Why do your legs shake when you try to get out of bed? Best to stay in bed and rest. Your damp hair sticks to your flushed face and you lay your head down. Yes, rest. After what feels like an instant, you wake up in a drowsy, groggy fog. Your heavy eyelids slowly open, only to see complete blackness. You hear nothing. A deep silence like nothing you've ever known. Nighttime? The air is both cold and stuffy at the same time. The alarm bells really begin to signal when you cannot raise your arms above your head for a good stretch. Your arms only move a scant inch or two from your sides before they meet a strange wooden barrier covered in silky fabric. The same barrier hovers over you, mere inches from your face and the crown of your head. You're in a box. It slowly dawns on you exactly what has happened. Your breathing grows rapid, using your precious air more quickly as the horrible truth hits you. You aren't in just any box. You're in a coffin. Underground. You've been buried alive. Hey everyone, welcome back to Southern Fright Storytime. We've mentioned this topic before, but never done a proper deep dive into it and its place and culture. The fear of being buried alive, and the fact that it actually happened. Back in the 1800s, there was rarely a doctor present to declare if a person was truly deceased or not. From there, the funerary practices tended to proceed rather quickly. It's, I mean, I don't want to be gruesome, but it's pretty hot down here. You've got to, you got to move with these things or stuff gets gross, right? Typically, the coffin was purchased and the funeral performed within 24 hours of the victim being declared dead. From there, the mourning loved ones may spend one last night surrounding the deceased in order to say their goodbyes. This last night also served as one last chance for the deceased to make their survival known if they were not quite as dead as everyone thought. It was thought to be ghoulish or even suspicious to bury a person after dark, so it was typical for the body to be kept company until its burial at the earliest possible opportunity. Illnesses such as smallpox, which were historically common, could put one into a comatose state where it was very difficult to find a pulse even for an experienced person. Such was the case with an infant named Martha Lawrence who was only four months old when she caught the disease and fell into a coma. Her tiny coffin had been purchased and her funeral completed when Dr. John Moultrie visited the family to pay his respects and noticed the tiniest slightest movements of the baby's body. She was alive. Her father was so scarred by the experience of almost burying his daughter alive that when he entrusted his final arrangements to his son, he demanded that upon his death his body be burned and the bones be buried. 
Cremation was extremely rare at the time, as Christians in the Holy City considered that the human body was made in the image of Christ, and for it to be consumed by flames was considered hellish imagery. Lawrence cited that the Bible also calls fire a tool of purification, and that he would rather be burned than wake up underground waiting to dehydrate or suffocate to death. On this show, we've also discussed the case of Julia Legree, who contracted diphtheria at the tender age of 22. She fell into a deep coma and was thought to have passed away before she was put in the family crypt. Fifteen years later, when another family member was to be entombed, the door to the mausoleum was opened to reveal Julia's skeletal remains leaning against the heavy stone doors. She had awakened within the dark and fought tooth and nail to escape the locked vault, only to starve to death in her terrifying wait for the Grim Reaper. Once open, every attempt to keep the mausoleum's door closed was a failure. The heavy stone door would be closed and locked by family members or members of the church, only for the vault to be discovered wide open the next morning. After several recurrences, it became clear that Julia wanted to prevent any of her family from suffering her terrible fate, and the door is left open to this day. My family and I went to see it on one of their first visits here to Charleston. It was a beautiful country church, and pretty creepy to see this old mausoleum. As a southern transplant, I can honestly say that there aren't too many of these to be found in the Midwest. We aren't really close to being below sea level, so things like mausoleums and barrel graves are simply not required. So, if you grew up in the south or along any of the coastal low-lying areas, you might be used to this, but to me, the tiny stone homes that make up the cities of the dead were already a little alien and spooky for me. It hits that whimsical and creepy at the same time note that tends to give me the shivers. The fear of being buried alive was such a powerful fear that many countries used it as a form of punishment or execution. When China was unified, scholars and religious groups' information was burned and the practitioners were buried alive. Germans buried traitors alive, head downward. And in the Middle East, one could be buried alive for sodomy, bestiality, or having any kind of business or relationship with anyone of the Jewish faith or Jewish ancestry. More recently, the Viet Cong performed live burials in the Vietnam War. This terrible fear led to the innovative invention of quote-unquote safety coffins. Man, and I thought safety scissors were insulting. Seriously, as a kid in school, I never wanted to use them. I remember being opposed to it as early as kindergarten. I don't care if you give them cute, colorful handles. They're about as useful at cutting paper as a marshmallow is for mowing the lawn. These safety coffins often had a tube or pipe installed to allow airflow from the ground surface to circulate down into the coffin. Sometimes a string would be placed into the hand of the deceased and then be threaded through this air tube and have a bell dangling outside of it so that if the person buried alive was tugging at the string, it would ring the bell and alert people in the cemetery to the need for help. Others might have some kind of feeding tube or a flag that they could wave for attention. With all of these bodies being exposed to the air on the surface, I'm sure that these cemeteries smelled simply delightful. No wonder the fences surrounding them are always crawling with jasmine. It also makes the choice to have very many small cemeteries instead of larger ones make a lot more sense. Whew. The first record of a safety coffin that I could find was in 1792 and belonged to Duke Ferdinand of Brunswick. His tomb included a window so that he could see... 
Two keys were placed into his coat pocket, one to unlock his coffin from the inside so that he could climb out of it, and one so that he could leave the mausoleum itself. Inventors of these safety coffins were so confident in their products that they would often be buried alive in their own safety coffins to prove their effectiveness. Before this seems like a quirky bit of history and you want to give in to what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery, I have one more thing for you to consider. I know it's tempting to write off fear of being buried alive or even the related fear of small spaces, claustrophobia, as outdated fears only innate in our society because of a primal fear bred in a period where this actually happened to people. Too antiquated to be useful. So, I would like to draw your attention to a case in South Africa where a woman woke up in a freezer in the morgue awaiting her own autopsy in June 2018. At the time of this recording, that is only five years and two months ago. So before you write off the Black Plague and being buried alive as old-timey things that don't happen anymore, remember, both of these things still happen in today's world. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope I gave you something to think about, and I hope that if you are afraid of small spaces or being buried alive, I gave you just a little sprinkling of goosebumps. I hope you have a wonderful, beautiful weekend, and a special thank you to Lee for sponsoring this podcast. If you would like to sponsor and get a shout-out on the show, you can do so on Spotify. Also, how would you feel about me adding more poll questions on the episodes? I put one on the Pepsi episode, but no one participated before it closed, so I was wondering if that was a form of engagement that you guys would be interested in. Please let me know what you think, and enjoy this last summer weekend, and have a beautiful time out in the sunshine. Thank you again.